All right. Welcome you back. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18 this morning. Acts chapter 18. How many made it out to the fair? Anybody make it out to the fair? Early, early on Friday. Early? You went last night. What was last night? Rodeo? Okay. You saw Jason, huh? I used to go out and take in the 4-H animals. I used to, when I was in uh, um, high school, high school, Future Farmers of America, right? FFA, we, I would judge livestock, so, yeah, so cool. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. We've been working our way through the book of Acts. We're taking a break here and there, uh, just like we did last week for baptism, um, but the theme of the book of Acts has been Acts 1-8, right? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we're seeing the gospel go now from Jerusalem, Samaria. Now we're getting to the uttermost parts of the earth because now we're in that Macedonia area. So um, Acts 18, he's going to be in the town of what we call Corinth. Corinth is still existing today, as was Athens, right? So um, those are communities that are still there. You can go back and maybe see some of the stuff there. Ephesus, um, there would be a strong work there, but Ephesus, when he had the um, military things happened in history, and Ephesus was, for the most part, destroyed. So there's ruins there, but you can't, uh, I don't think there's a city there to speak of. So, Amen. Acts 18, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 17 of Acts chapter uh, 18. We'll go with verses 1 through 6 to start off. And we're going to look at a fearless faith, a fearless faith, all right? So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that um, you'd make it come alive for us, Lord. It is the living word of God that is able to shape and mold us and guide and direct us, Lord. Uh, Father, we just pray that it would come and speak to us today, Lord. Make it come alive. And we ask it in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Verses 1 through 6. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So he had been in Athens. We did that message a couple weeks ago. And that was a very difficult place for Paul to minister in this community of Athens. They were steeped in intellectual wisdom, right? You had the Greek philosophers that came out of there. And he even tried to reason with them on Mars Hill. Um, it is one considered one of his greater messages, but yet he... Very few converts. No churches started that we are aware of. And it was a difficult place. He did not have Silas and Timothy with him. He was there alone. I, I think you just read between the lines, and it was a very difficult time for Paul in Athens. He then gets on the next ship, and he's on his way to Corinth. So after this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila. Say Aquila. Aquila. A native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So Priscilla would actually be the one that was more of the teaching uh, person. There's even theories out there uh, that she wrote <laughs> Hebrews. <laughs> but we don't know. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. <laughs> uh, but um, they came from um, 
Italy, and Claudius had ordered that all the Jews leave Rome, and so they were expelled out of there. So Paul went to see them, and, and because he was a tent maker as they were, they stayed in and they worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. All right? And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, so they, um, they, we last saw them in, I believe, Berea, right? So they were in Berea. They stayed to kind of put things in order because Paul got on, left in the middle of the night, and they sent him on the ship, and he ends up in Athens. All right. Um, so they arrived, verse 6, And when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And we know that Paul did that a number of times, right? He would go to the synagogue and they would listen to him for a while and eventually they would kick him out and he would go to the Gentiles. That's what happened in Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, and even in Athens. Um, And so based upon what Paul's experience had been, you can, you can probably sense that Paul is thinking, you know, they kicked me out, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, and the clock is ticking before I'm going to be on the ship to somewhere else, right? Because that's just been the pattern. And I don't think Paul was a fearful person, but I do think that with the multiple encounters and what he experienced along the way of people trying to kill him, okay, it wasn't like they were just trying to uh, stir things up. They were actually trying to take his life. Right? Paul, that's always in the back of Paul's mind. And he's thinking, I probably need to get my bags ready, and it won't be long before I'm going to be asked to leave. So it is about this time, I want us to look at verses 7 and 9. This is where I think our first point is here. That it is about this time that God will speak to him. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue, went door to the do- how, uh, door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. So uh, God-fears were Gentiles who had embraced, uh, maybe even went to the synagogue to worship. Um, They hadn't been circumcised and things of that nature, but um, they had a a God-fearing spirit and were seeking that. Um, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago, how um, in, in Acts you see that specifically where um, a whole household would be baptized, not just an individual person, but whole households. Verse 9, then one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Okay, so he's not awake. He's having this dream, this vision, and God says to him, it's in red, right? So we assume that it is Jesus speaking it to us. That the, that's what the translators are thinking here. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. So that phrase, do not be afraid, it just really literally means to not be afraid, to not be anxious, to not be apprehensive about a situation or event. And so Paul God comes and speaks to him and says, hey, don't, don't be fearful. Don't be apprehensive. Don't stop what you are doing. And don't be silent. So the fact that God had to tell Paul this indicates that Paul was dealing with that fear. Paul was human, just like you and I. You have ever been fearful of sharing your faith? Right? Maybe all of you. 
Paul was dealing with that fear and anxiety, and he was anxious about the days ahead. Now, you look at some of the things that Paul had faced. Now, if any of you can um, compare to this, we're going to honor you, okay? This is in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Paul kind of shares some of the things he encountered on his missionary journeys. So this would be the second one that we're on right now. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, so 39 stripes. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. We know that he was stoned once um, in Lystra, in that area, and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked, he said. One night I, I, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So he was out on, whether he was clinging to a piece of wood, we don't know. Um, verse 26, I was constantly on the move. I've been in danger of rivers, of bandits, fellow Jews from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, danger from false believers. Man, there's no place for Paul to hide, is there? I've labored, I've toiled, I've gone without sleep, I've known hunger, thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold, I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. So, if you've experienced that and you have that in your resume, do you think you have a little bit of a right to be a little bit concerned or fearful about the days ahead? Kind of like, what's around the corner? Is it another beating? Is it another whipping? Is it another sleepless night? What's around the corner? Paul definitely had reasons to be concerned. So why did Paul tell, why did God tell Paul not to be afraid? So here's your first principle. Because living in fear will do what? What will living in fear cause you to do? Stop, right? It'll paralyze you. Withdraw. Living in fear will keep you from doing God's work. It'll keep you from doing God's work. Instead of fearing what they would do to him, the people, the Jews, whoever, Paul is to proclaim the word fearlessly. Fearlessly. Paul had his fears and we have ours, don't we? We could flash them up on the screen if you want to, right? right? We wouldn't want to do that. But what do we fear? We may think of what others, we may uh, be fearful of what others think of us. We may be fearful of stepping out and using our gifts and talents. What if I fail? What if I mess up? What if I make a fool of myself? We fear health issues. Going to the doctor, maybe getting that report. We fear that our life may be in danger, maybe. We fear maybe that God's provision won't be enough. And here's the deal. Fear will paralyze us and prevent us from God's work and just even doing life, right? It'll paralyze us. It'll keep us from using our time and our talents to further the kingdom of God and sharing your faith with those around us. It will paralyze you. Now, I I forgot to mention this. Is fear a good thing? No? It can be. God placed it there for a reason, right? You come face to face with a grizzly bear, right? Fear says, hey, I need to get out of there, right? Um. You know, you're standing on the edge of a cliff, you know, and you're kind of looking over it, and it drops you down. You know, know, God puts fear in there for a reason, right? But He doesn't want it to dominate our life and to control our life. It's there to protect us in times, but often it can 
accomplish quite the opposite. Proverbs 22.13 says, The sluggard says there's this line outside. Now, I'm not saying anybody here is a sluggard, okay? <laughs> All right. What I am saying is this is what the sluggard said. Hey, there's a line outside. Do you think there's a line out there? No, there's no line out there. He says, I'll be killed in the public square. What the sluggard is saying, hey, there's a potential that there is harm out there. There could be a lion. We've never seen a lion in 20 years, but there could be one. Therefore, I am not going outside, right? I'm not going to, because something bad could happen to me, right? We may laugh at that, but think about what COVID did to some of us. We were afraid to step out and to be in a group or to step out, right? To step out. It's going to happen to us. There's a line out there. You know, and then, th then there's also one of the biggest fears we face is the fear of failure, right? Fear of failure. And due to that fear, we don't even try, right? If I don't try, then I can't fail, right? Yeah. You know what? I, one of the best pieces of advice I got is if anything worth doing is worth failing at. Anything worth doing is worth failing at. And I, I don't know, that, that really freed me up that, you know, I, you know, I can fail at a lot of things, but if there's anything worth doing, I'm going to go out there and give it my best. If I fail, I fail. I learn from it, right? Yeah. Some of the greatest inventions that we enjoy, including lights, came at the expense of a lot of failures. But people kept trying and kept trying and kept trying until they got it right. We learn more from our failures than we do from our victories and successes. And so... Failure is there, yes, we learn from it. It's all about attitude, so, um, but we cannot be fearful of it. Advancing the kingdom of God is going to take a fearless faith, trusting God each step of the way. Um, and I've shared the story. Coming here to Crete was a step of faith. And planning a church plant, so that'll be 18 years here next weekend. Isn't that cool? But that was a step of faith. Why? Because the first year church plants... 50% of church plants fail, close up. 50%, that's not good odds. If you are making an investment and you had a 50% chance of losing your money, would you take it? Oh, 50-50, right? And then another 50% conk out, you know, so of the 50% that survive, another 50% in the next two through three years, don't make it. So the chances are, you know, and even when we got here, it's like then I heard stories of people that tried starting a church here in Crete and it didn't work <laughs> or they thought about it. Yeah. But anything worth doing is worth failing at. And I think it's just kind of uh, if God calls us to something, go out and give it your best. If you sense you're supposed to do something, go out and give it your best. Give it your best shot. If you fail, learn from it and keep moving on. It doesn't mean that you are a failure. It just means that, that things didn't work out. Amen? All right. So I don't think God is asking us to toughen up. I don't think he's, you know, saying, you know, tighten up that belt and just, you know. I don't think that's what God is saying here when he's talking about a fearless faith. Let's look at verse 10. So verse 9 says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Verse 10, for I am... What? With you. Who's with you? 
Holy Spirit, Jesus is with you, right? God's with you, right? I am with you, and I'm going, uh, no one's going to attack you or harm you because I have people in this city. And Jesus reminds Paul that his presence is with him and that no one would harm him. You know, I wonder how Paul slept that night. Because I have a feeling that maybe his sleep was a little bit disturbed that night. And then he has this, this vision where Jesus comes and speaks to him and says, I am with you. Do not be afraid. I have a feeling that there was peace in his heart and in his mind. There was a confidence knowing that God was in control and that God was present with him. So the second thing I see is that Jesus is with you in every season of life. He doesn't bail on us in the hard moments of life. You know, sometimes friends do that. Not good friends, but sometimes friends will do that. They're with you when things are going well, and then things get difficult. And it's kind of like, where are my friends at, right? I guess that's where you find out who your true friends are. In Hebrews, the author there points out just what it comes from one of the Psalms. It says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's pretty powerful words, isn't it? I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That is God's promise to you and me. He will never leave us. He'll never desert us. And when we have a fearless faith, it frees us up to do God's word and to live boldly. Now, Christy read that passage, and it's the Armor of God passage, but he ends with saying, pray for me. Pray for me. And what did he want them to pray for him about? That he would speak the word of God fearlessly. So I would consider Paul kind of a type A person. He was kind of bold. He kind of took charge. But even Paul said, hey, pray for me that I, can pray, that I can speak the word of God clearly, fearlessly, boldly, and do as I should. You know, I think all of us could probably raise our hand there, right? And say, God, pray for me that I may speak the word of God fearlessly. When, when you're talking to somebody that doesn't know Christ, whether it's a friend or a neighbor across the street, and you, God just kind of, you, you sense it. And God says, I want you to talk to them. Pray for them. Tell them about the Lord. And we go, uh, right? We clam up. And we all need that prayer where we say, God, allow me to speak fearlessly your word to people and share what Christ but I don't know what they're going to think about me. You know, who, I guess who cares what they think? What, what matters is what God thinks of you, right? Yeah. Let's look at the last point here, 11 through 17. So Paul stayed in Corinth a year and a half, 18 months, right? That's what the longest place he stayed in anywhere other than Ephesus. Ephesus, I think, was two and a half years. But this is kind of like a record, okay? teaching them the word of God. And while Galileo was the proconsul, kind of like the governor of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul. So same story, right? We've heard this story before. They attack on Paul and they brought him to the place of judgment. So we've ha he, that's happened multiple times already. And this man they charge is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to our law. So it's the Jewish people that are bringing him in. And just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, 
If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable, reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. Take that. I will not judge such things. He drove them off, and then the crowd turned on Sothenes, the synagogue leader, and they beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern, whatever. So they, they, they organize and they get this mob and they're gonna, they bring Paul to this place to be judged. And it gets reversed on them. The people that bring the, the charges and that are bringing the judgment, it gets reversed on them. They actually beat up the guy that brought the charges. And Paul was set free. And he stays there for a year and a half to minister, to build a church, to disciple people and see a good work there. So we have two books in our New Testament that are written to the Corinthians, and they, they're very instructional. They were not a perfect church by any means. Paul does some really strong teaching there, right? But he also gives us some very good things there. Um, the key is that God's presence was there, and he was able to do a more lasting work there than he had in other places. The third thing that we see there is fruitful ministry happens as we trust God's protection. I think everything within Paul says it's probably time to go. It's getting a little bit too tense where I'm at. It's time to go on to the next place. And God says, no, I want you to stay put because your work here is not done and I'm going to protect you. And Paul trusted, Paul trusted the protection of God and God looked over him. God does not want us to live in fear but to possess a fearless faith. So this is what Paul says to Timothy, and I think this speaks to all of us. Um, Timothy, 2 Timothy would be one of the latter books, maybe the final letter that Paul would write to people, to the churches. And Timothy was, so Paul was the evangelist, right? He was the missionary evangelist, went in there, people get saved, healed, delivered. But Timothy and Titus were the pastors. Paul would send them in there and he would, they would pastor these congregations, these groups of people. And, and Timothy, I think, just really had a pastor's heart. He was not a Paul. He actually probably had a little more tenderheartedness to him. And he loved the people. Not that Paul didn't, but they had the gift of a pastor. But this is what Paul says to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 6-12. And this is what I remind you to fan into flame or flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of, of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. So Timothy was even dealing with that himself, and fear, timidity, was keeping him from moving in the gifts and the talents that God had instilled within him. Verse 8, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. So this is one of the letters that Paul would write from prison. Verse 9, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because he, we deserved it, but because that was his plan before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by appearing 
of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and mortality through the good news. And God chose you to be a, me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. Verse 12 should underline this in your Bible. And that is why I'm suffering in prison, but, but, I am not ashamed of it. For I know whom I have trust or trusted. And I'm sure that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Amen? There's a hymn, there's an old hymn that's written based upon that. I know whom I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Amen? You remember that one, don't you, Karen? Maybe. Yeah. Paul says, I know who I have believed. I'm able to trust him with my life, with all that I do. And he, there's going to be a day where I stand before him and it's going to be okay. I can trust him with my life. I can trust him and I can live fearlessly. Whether I'm free, whether I'm in prison, whatever the case may be, I can live for him and trust him with my life. I'm going to have the musicians come. I think maybe Yolanda went to get Amy there. I was asked to fill out a survey here this past work. And many of the questions that were being asked is, what do you think ministry in the church will look like in 10 years? In 10 years. That's a tough question, right? Nobody really knows, but they want our input. What do you think ministry, the church, our world will look like in 10 years? You know, so no one knows the answer, but based upon how things are, I think there is going to be more resistance to the gospel here in America. I mean, some places in the world there is extreme resistance, and some of our missionaries are going into places where the, it's not allowed to speak the name of Jesus and to share the gospel, right? They're there kind of incognito doing the God's work there. But in America, you know, you go back... 30, 40, 50 years, there was more of a, not that America was perfect, but there was more openness to the gospel, and, and I think it was held in a higher regard. That is no longer the case, right? Even truth today, I think, is, you know, I think to even find the truth is a little bit hard, right? But I think there's gonna, there is a greater resistance there. Now, having said that, does that mean that the church is in decline? You go to Europe, and I've been in France. I've seen all the churches and their museums, their stores, but a lot of them are not churches anymore. There's a few of them. Some of them are landmarks, right? People go and visit. So does it mean that the church here in America is in decline? Does it mean that the days are dark? I don't think so. Look at, look, look at the atmosphere that Paul ministered in. It wasn't like they were welcoming him with open arms. Often he faced a lot of opposition. Did the church go forward? Absolutely. In Ephesus, and sometimes we'll get to the city in Ephesus, but Ephesus was steeped in idolatry. It was steeped in sorcery and wickedness. It was a very evil city. But the gospel so transformed the city of Ephesus that the silversmiths were being run out of business because nobody was buying idols anymore. And the sorcerers were taking their million-dollar scrolls. That's what the value, if you bring out the value 
in today's currency. These scrolls, they were burning them in the fire because God had so transformed and changed their lives. Can the gospel go forward in, in a less than ideal atmosphere? Absolutely. But I believe it takes fearless faith by those who call themselves Christians to pursue him. Amen? Is this a hard message? I don't know. Is it? It challenges me. I don't know if it challenges you, but it challenges me. It really does because um, I still love my life. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, um, and yet, and probably I care about too much what people think of me or even what they'll say. Um, but Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though nobody pursues them. But the righteous are what? As bold as a lion. You got some roar in you? All right? I could ask you for your best roar. You got some roar? Do you got some fight in you? I don't think God has called Christians to be pushovers. I don't think he's called us to live in seclusion. I don't think he's called us to live in fear. He's called us to live boldly. I'm not talking about being stupid. I'm not talking about being in the face of people and making them mad. I'm just talking about living our Christian witness. sharing Christ. Amen? To live boldly. To let Christ, the light of Christ shine in their life. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to have you raise your hand again. Eyes closed. The question is just very simple. The question is, just raise your hand if you say, hey, I want to have that fearless faith. I want to have that fearless faith. Just raise your hand this morning. Amen. Father, this morning, you said that if we trust in you with all of our heart, if we confess our sins and, and make you Lord and declare you Lord of our life, you'll come into our heart. We have the hope of salvation. And that applies to anybody here today. That if we haven't taken that step to make you our Savior our Lord, today is the day of salvation. And we make that our prayer. But Lord, you have not called, you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And I pr my prayer is for each person here today to have a fearless faith, to trust you. Lord God, that we can trust your power, that we can trust your might, that you, you do. We can entrust everything to you, Lord God, because uh, you've proven yourself faithful. And just like Paul, I know who I have believed, and I know that he is faithful to keep that which I've committed to him. And Lord God, give us that faith to trust you. Give us that faith that we can live boldly for you and do the work of God and that you would free us to discover our gifts, our talents, and just how we can utilize those to further, the, further and advance the kingdom of God here on earth. Lord God, we don't know if, your time, if the time is short before you return. We don't know if it's short or if we still got another 100, 2,000 years, 1,000 years. We don't know. All we know is that things are moving fast, Lord. Lord God, give us a fearless faith. That like Paul says, pray that I may declare the word of God fearlessly to those that need to hear. Lord God, we give you the thanks and the praise, Jesus. Lord, this morning we just um, pray that you give us that fearless faith. 
be like a Paul. And uh, Lord, that's going to look different in each of our lives. None of us, not every person is a Paul. You're, you, we are who you've created us to be, but let your Holy Spirit and your presence be upon our lives and to live boldly for you and in the way that is unique to us, Lord God. Hallelujah. And Lord God, I just pray for our people, our congregation, Lord God. And I know there's had calls this week, just several that are under the weather. We just pray right now for just your healing touch over their lives, Lord. Um, thank you that by your stripes we're made whole and we are healed. We give you the thanks and the praise. Lord God, may your blessing go with us this week. Make us a blessing, allow us to live boldly and fiercely, and be in the light of Christ in this world. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave, and uh, say hi. God bless you.